Amen. Thank you for being here this morning and joining us at the Oasis, and thank you for joining us from your homes this morning, wherever you are. We are glad you're here. I, I want to mention this this week and next week uh, to give you a heads up on something we're going to be doing very special at the end of our service on June the 26th, so two weeks from today. We're going to be praying specifically for those who need to be healed in some way that day at the end of both services at 9 and 11. And so I want to announce that in case that may be you, you may be in need of some spiritual, emotional, or physical healing, or you know of someone that you would want to invite to come to one of those two services on June 26th to be a part of us talking about the God who can heal and praying for healing. Because we're going to be looking at a passage in the book of Isaiah all about the healing that God can do. So that's Sunday, June 26. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. And this morning we're going to be looking at the hope that Messiah brings. The hope that Messiah brings. The world that we're going to see at this time uh, is a world of hopelessness. It is a world of darkness. And, and the Bible connects hope with light, which is why we're going to be talking a lot about light and darkness today. You're, you're in a dark place and you see a light, there's hope there, right? You, you know the way out. You know the way through. That, that light gives you hope. God's light is the same for us today. And, and I believe what God wants to accomplish here this morning is he wants all of us to leave here today living in the hope that he can bring to us, living in the light that he can bring to us. And then not only living in that light, but being that light and being able to point people to that light. Because again, we live in a very dark and hopeless world. Now, obviously, we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but I, I want to start there today. I, I want us to see, again, how relevant a message from thousands of years ago is even for us today in the world in which we live. We are in a section of the book of Isaiah from chapter 7 through 12 that is the section of no trust. No trust. The, the people of God even are not trusting in their God. We talked about that last week in Isaiah chapter 7. So that's where we are. And what we are going to see is that when we or anyone rejects God, rejects the light of God in their life, the revelation of God in their life, all that's left is darkness. It's not that human beings even have to sort of be aggressively pursuing darkness. No, no. If you and I reject God, 
reject God's light and reject God's revelation, the only thing left is darkness. Begin with me in verse 22 of chapter 8. And tell me that this does not describe even our world today if this was you looking out over the world. When one looks out over the land, he or she sees distress, anguish, affliction, and darkness, gloom, and anxiety, darkness, and people forced from the land. Pretty descriptive, isn't it? A lot of misery, a lot of gloom, a lot of darkness. This is the world in which we live. And why is that? Because that's exactly what happens to people when they reject God and reject the light of God and reject the revelation of God. All that's left is darkness and gloom and misery and anguish and hopelessness. And yet, into that darkness, God's intended message is always hope. That was true for the people in Isaiah's day, and that is true for us today as well. God was going to give them a prophetic message of the first coming of the Lord, the Messiah, you and I now live on the other side of his first coming, but we are living now between his two comings. And we live in the hope of what he brought to us in, our, in the first coming and in anticipation of the hope that he's going to bring in the second coming. Either way, God calls upon his people to live in that hope, to live in that light, and that's why even here through the prophet Isaiah, notice what he says in chapter 8, verse 23. The gloom will be dispelled. The gloom will be dispelled. It's one of the things that God wants to get his people to focus on is that with God, the best is always yet to come. That's even true for us. <laughs> There's better things ahead for us as God's people always. And as I've shared with you many times, whatever you and I go through negatively here on this earth is the only hell we will ever know. And yet reverse that, those who reject God and his light and the hope that he offers and lives in darkness, this world is the only heaven they will ever know. God has promised the gloom will be dispelled. Now, in this message, through Isaiah, he's specifically talking to his people about the first advent, the first coming of the Lord, and the hope that that will bring them. And he wants them, even in anticipation of the first coming of the Lord, to live in and with that hope. So notice the message. The gloom will be dispelled for those who were anxious. 
In earlier times, he humiliated or made small the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But now he brings honor to the way of the sea, the region beyond the Jordan, and Galilee of the nations. We don't have a lot of time to go into it today, but as you've been seeing through the message of Isaiah, the people of God turned to these other nations, whether it was Egypt, Assyria, or Babylon, as their security and stability and surety. And God was saying, those very nations that you're relying and depending upon instead of me, those very nations that you're trusting in, they're going to turn on you. And they're going to come and conquer you one day. And so God looks beyond the devastation that Assyria caused to Israel. And now he's promising them that those very regions that were depopulated and devastated, now he's going to restore when Messiah comes. And you'll notice at the end of verse 1 of chapter 9 that he specifically mentions the Galilee of the nations. Why is that significant? Because that was the primary place for the ministry of Jesus when he came. Where did he primarily minister? around the region of Galilee. And God is saying, when Messiah comes, oh, he's coming in all of his light and in all of his glory. And he's going to bring light and he's going to bring hope and he's going to bring blessing to the very region that was devastated and depopulated by the Assyrians. And then he says in verse 2, the people walking in darkness See a bright light because of Messiah's advent. Light will shine on those living in a land of deep darkness. And that's what happened. When Jesus came, he said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will never have to walk in darkness, but can always have the light of life. That was the hope that Jesus brought the very first time he came. And we're living even after that advent, after his first coming. So Jesus is saying to all of us, you don't have to live in darkness. You don't have to be gloomy. You don't have to, you know, live in that state. You, you can walk with me and live in my light and in my hope that I alone can bring you each and every day of your life. Remember again, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world and the one who follows me never has to walk in darkness. If you and I walk in darkness and hopelessness and gloom, it's because we are choosing to, not because we have to. Because Jesus and through Jesus and the hope that he brings and the salvation that he brings to us brings us the light of life. He did it the first time and now we live between his two comings where he's going to do it even more the second time that he comes. One thing I want to point out too that's very important and you see it here in the book of Isaiah at this point and many times as you read and study the prophets is the prophets of God speak in what's called prophetic perfect. In other words, notice they're speaking about something that is yet to happen in the future, but they're speaking of it in past tense. Did you get that in chapter 9, verse 1 and 2? This hadn't happened yet, right? But 
the prophet is speaking in past tense as if it's already happened. Why? Because God wants his people to understand that if I say it's going to happen, then it is sure and certain to happen because it's my word and you can trust me and you can rest in me and you can have hope in me and light in me. That's how sure it is. So you're going to see even now beginning in verse 3 that the prophet looked beyond the first coming of Christ to his second coming and the establishing of his righteous kingdom on earth for a thousand years, what the Bible calls the millennial reign of Christ. And there's three primary things, hopeful things, that God promises when Jesus comes the second time. That even though when he came the first time that much, much of the world was engulfed and overwhelmed by darkness, God's light was still shining in places. And the same thing is true as you and I live between his two comings. That though much of the world is dark, and I'm sure as Christians you can sense it, you can feel that darkness just like I do. You can sense the gloom and the hopelessness that literally engulfs and covers the world. That we can be light and that we can live in the light that God brings. And so there's three things that God wants his people to look forward to in hope, in anticipation of Christ's second coming. The first is, notice verse 3, you have enlarged the nation, the nation of Israel, a nation, by the way, which the prophets say that because Israel will be restored and the nation of Israel will turn back and recognize Jesus as their Messiah one day as a nation, that all the world, all the earth will be blessed because of that. And then he says, you give them great joy. You give them reason to rejoice. They rejoice in your presence as harvesters rejoice, as warriors celebrate when they divide up plunder. The joy that's going to come when Jesus comes back the second time is going to be unlike any joy any of us have ever experienced. It's an extravagant joy. It's an ecstatic joy. He compares it to, first of all, the joy that harvesters have who've worked so hard for, you know, the crops that they planted. And then they get to celebrate and enjoy all the goodness that God has brought about as he watered those crops and as he gave life to those crops. And they're sitting there in the abundance of what God has given to them. He's saying that kind of joy is even going to be surpassed and exceeded. And then he talks about the warriors, the soldiers who celebrate after a great victory, who maybe, you know, put everything on the line, including their very life, but now they've won this great victory, and they're celebrating not only that they're still alive, but they're celebrating this great victory over the enemy. He's saying that kind of joy, that lasting joy, that never-ending joy that only God can bring is going to come one day, and it's going to be like anything you and I have ever experienced. Are we living in that hope? And even in the joy, if you will, that God can bring to us now as we live in his light and in his hope. The second thing that's going to happen when Jesus comes back the next time, verse 4, is that their oppressive yoke 
and the club that strikes their shoulders, the cudgel the oppressor uses on them, you have shattered, you have broken through as in the day of Midian's defeat. All oppression will cease. As we sing when we sing the song even, O Holy Night, at Christmas time. God is going to deliver like never before. He's going to deliver from whoever or whatever oppresses us, holds us back, holds us down, annoys us, harasses us, picks on us. It's all going to be done away with forever. Now, to his people at this time, they're thinking that means one day the Egyptians are going to be gone and the Assyrians are going to be gone and the Babylonians are going to be gone and all these oppressors are one day going to be gone. That's true. But you and I can even look beyond that and we can be reminded that one day the devil's going to be gone and the demonic world is going to be gone and our flesh is finally going to be gone and laid aside and everything that holds us back from being all that we even want to be for God one day is going to be defeated by God once and forever. All of our oppressors will be done away with. That's the hope that God is giving to his people. And then one more that he points out in this passage. Verse 5, indeed, every boot that marches and shakes the earth, every garment dragged through the blood is used as fuel for the fire. No more war. War will one day end. Though we live in a time where we will live through wars and rumors of wars and through earthly conflict, when Jesus comes back the next time, he comes as the Prince of Peace and there will never be war on earth again except for that final battle at the end of the millennial kingdom when Satan is let out one last time. In fact, if you keep your finger in Isaiah 9, go back to Isaiah chapter 2 to a verse that if you've ever been to the United Nations building in New York City, you know that this verse is inscribed outside the United Nations building, and it's Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. He will judge disputes between nations he will settle cases for many people, speaking of Jesus, during the kingdom, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up the sword against other nations, and they will no longer train for war. And then notice what he says in verse 5. Oh, descendants of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the Lord's guiding light. Let's walk in that hope, though we all will live our lives at a time of war. And there's been war ever since I've been alive. I came in at the end of the Korean War and lived through the Vietnam War and, of course, then the wars in Iraq and Iran and the Middle East, which always is bubbling up. And then you've got this war that we're living through today and there will always be wars. But one day we live in the hope of God's people that we will never have war again on earth. Hope. Light. Revelation from God. And we can say, okay, Isaiah, you know, okay, Lord, I, I get it. You know, we are living after the first advent, and, and certainly there are things that, you know, we can be encouraged by there, and, and the things that 
that Jesus brought to us in his first coming. And, and certainly we're living like the people of God before or in Isaiah's time. As they lived in anticipation of his first coming, we're living in anticipation of his second coming. And, and therefore, we should be living in hope too. But how does that kind of revelation and light that you're talking about and, and hope, how does that really affect me every day in my life? And how did God bring all this about? I mean, you know, you and I would think today, well, that must mean that God has a team of Avengers out there that he's going to send to earth, right? No, go back to chapter 9. You know how God's going to accomplish all of this? A child. Remember, we're in that section of Isaiah 2 where God is saying, you've rejected me, you're living in darkness, and you may think that it's going to take some, you know, army or armies or whatever. No, I'm going to use a child. I'm going to show you that I'm so great that I can start a movement across this planet that people will embrace and be able to live in my light and hope. And you know what I'm going to start with? I'm going to start with a child, a child. Verse 6 begins by speaking of the humanity of Jesus Christ. A child has been born to us. And he is a 100% human being. But then the next part of the verse speaks about his deity. He is also the son of God that has been given to us. You see at the beginning of chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah, both the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ wrapped up in one person. No other person like Jesus. And it goes on to tell us that through Jesus... He will shoulder responsibility. He will govern and rule the world. In fact, notice verse 7 says that one day his dominion will be vast. He will bring immeasurable prosperity to the earth. He will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom, establishing it and strengthening it by promoting justice and fairness from this time forward and forevermore. This isn't just a kingdom that's going to last for a thousand years. This is a kingdom that you and I are going to be part of forever and ever and ever. It has no end. And God wants us to live in that hope of his coming king and coming kingdom every day. So that's why if you go back to verse 6, he says, therefore call him these names. And the word called here in verse 6 not only means to name or proclaim Jesus these things, it means to call out to him. That's important. That we as God's people today don't just proclaim that he's these things because we believe he is these things. We call out to him every day. And that's where the rubber really meets the road, if you will, with this message today. How can you and I live in the light and hope of God every day as his people? Because we know and believe that, first of all, our Jesus is an extraordinary strategist. That's the way the Net Bible translated the Hebrew. Other Bibles translated wonderful counselor. It is to be taken together. It's not wonderful and counselor. It's wonderful counselor. Or as the net translates it, extraordinary strategist. That's a faithful translation of the Hebrew as well. Think about that. Every day you and I live being able to call upon 
a wonder of a counselor, a marvelous advisor, one who has all wisdom, who has all the answers that we're ever going to need. If you and I are ever trying to figure out how do we get through what we're dealing with, what's the way? Remember, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you and I need to know the way through or the way out or whatever, all we have to do as God's people is to live in the hope that we have an extraordinary strategist, a wonder of a counselor, that we know personally because we've called upon him to be our savior, we live in relationship with him every day, and we can call upon him and know that he has the wisdom for everything and anything we're ever going to need. And the Bible even encourages us to do that. If any of us lack wisdom, ask. And the one who is all wise and who has all wisdom and who knows all answers, there's nothing that our God scratches his head about and goes, well, I can't figure that out. There's nothing that ever stumps God. There's nothing that even causes God to, like, have to, like, go, well, I don't really know. I need to think about that. For no. God is the most intelligent being ever. He has all intelligence. He has all knowledge. He has all insight. And therefore, we can live in the hope that we are connected to a God that can always be our way, our wisdom, our strategy. How do I get through this? Call out to the one who knows how to get through. Call out to the one who will give you the path forward. He knows because he is the wonder of a counselor. There is no better, greater counselor, advisor than our God. And we can live in that hope every day. Secondly, we can call him and call out to him because he's the mighty God. He's the mightiest, strongest, most powerful in the universe. There is no power greater than our God. He is our champion. He is our hero. He is our invincible warrior. There is no enemy that you and I will ever face that is stronger than our God. There is no battle that we will ever face in our life that our God cannot go to battle for us and give us victory over because he is the mightiest of gods. There is no one mightier in the universe. No wonder in the book of Jeremiah, God says, is there anything too difficult for me? Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything that I can't put my power to and not overcome? No. He is not only the wonder of a counselor, he is the mighty God. And as Nicole even pointed out in her prayer, you and I can live in that power and with that same power of our God every day. We never have to live our lives in our own strength alone. We can always call upon the power of the mighty God 
and live with that kind of power every day. That's hope. That's light. That's life. And then he is the everlasting father. This isn't Jesus somehow, you know, getting into taking something away from God the Father. It is simply a way of asserting his equality with God the Father. Just like God the Father is the source of all things eternal, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the source of all things eternal. He is the Father of eternity. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And Jesus holds eternity in his hands. He's always been, he always is, and he always will be. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. How does that give me hope every day? Well, because the one who's always been and always will be is also always present. There's a constancy. There's a, there's a surety there. There's a stability in knowing that he's the father of eternity, that he knew me before I was even created by him and born. He knows exactly when I'm going to die, when I'm going to pass into eternity, and way beyond that. He's got all my bases covered. He's got my life covered from beginning to end, from millions of years even before I came on the scene to millions of years after. And therefore, I can rest in that. I, I can trust in that because he's the father of even my eternity and your eternity. And he will always, as the father of eternity, he will always be there for me, no matter what. There's never a time throughout eternity that God is not, and that he's not present, and that he's not able and capable of entering in and helping me with anything and everything. He's also, as the father of eternity or the everlasting father, the one who can put me and you in touch with eternity every day, which means that he gives us purpose to every day that you and I live because we can be part of something eternal. If we're following God and we're doing the things of God, that means our life is counting for eternity. That means that what we do every day matters. It means it will be marked for eternity. It is part of God's eternal plan, and therefore that gives us great purpose every day that you and I wake up. It means that you and I can invest our lives in things that will be eternal, that I don't have to feel like I'm just here and, and that, you know, when I leave this earth, that, that I don't have anything that's going to live beyond me and, and that I can take into eternity. No, just the opposite. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Be involved in what I want you to be involved with and you will find that you will have an eternal treasure that goes on forever and ever because I'm the father of eternity. I'm the one that you can be in touch with every day and you can touch eternity every day through me. That's hope. And one final, he is called the Prince of Peace, the one that we can call on as our personal Prince of Peace. Oh, we need his peace today, that peace that passes 
all understanding, that tranquility of mind that only can come through a mind that is stayed upon Jesus Christ. This word for peace speaks about completeness, soundness, and wholeness. And it is only through Jesus Christ that one can be complete and sound and whole. And yet he can bring that to any of us as we live in him and live in his light and live in the hope that he brings every day. Paul told the Colossians, you are complete in him. Do you feel complete today? You should. What does that mean? It means that you and I begin to realize and have a growing awareness that our God, Jesus Christ, is all-sufficient and that everything that I will ever need or want, anything that, that I am looking to fulfill and satisfy me is through him. And therefore, it gives me such an inner sense of well-being knowing that I don't have to look beyond him for anything, that everything is right here in him, that he is enough. He is absolutely sufficient. That's what it means when we call him the Prince of Peace. He can bring us peace because everything is brought under him. I don't ever have to look outside of Jesus for anything. Everything is within him. We're so scattered today. We're so distracted today. Even as God's people, like they were, they were looking outside of their God for stability, for security, for surety, for all these things. And God said, all of those can be found within me. Trust me, rest me and me. Look in and look at me. Earlier on in chapter 8, you don't have to turn there, but God was chiding even his own people for getting caught up in the occult and, and looking to wizards and witches and all of these, these things to try to, you know, bring comfort to themselves. And he says, all you're doing is you're just pursuing darkness. You're, you're just becoming more and more into the dark. I have come that you might have life. I have come that you might have light. And again, I'll just say, John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me never has to walk in darkness, but it can have the light of life. One other thing, notice at the end of verse 7 why God does what he does and did what he did, why he left the glories of heaven and came to earth the first time, and why he's, he left us a hope of coming back the second time. Why? The end of verse 7, the Lord's intense, intense devotion to his own people will accomplish this. You could use the word passion for the word devotion. The prophet Isaiah is saying, you know why God has done all these things for us? Because he has an undying, immeasurable, incalculable passion for us. 
we need to be reminded of that. How much God loves us. The passion, the intense passion that he has for us that burns for us every single moment of our lives. And it is that passion, that devotion to us, not to, I mean, he could have said, it's, it's, his, it's his desire for his own glory of why he's going to do this. And that would have been appropriate. He could have said, it's, it's to bring honor to my name throughout the universe. That would have been appropriate. He said, but it's my passion for my people. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I want my people to live in my light and to live in my hope every day. Folks, yes, just like in Isaiah's day, we live in a world of hopelessness, gloom, and darkness. But we don't have to live in that darkness. We need to live in the light and hope that God brings to us through Jesus by being able to call upon him and call him our wonder of a counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, our prince of peace. In order then that we not only can live in that light, but that we can be light God wants us not only to live in his light, he wants us to be light, and he wants us to point people to his light. You and I can't save the world and can't bring hope to everybody in the world, but we can bring light and hope to those around us, in our family, in our workplace, in our school, in our community, in our neighborhood and the people we rub shoulders with every day, we can be that light and that hope. Will we make that commitment today to not only call him these things, but to call upon him and to live in the light and hope that only Jesus can bring to us? As Nicole and I were talking about this service many weeks ago, we really felt like God wanted us to have an extended time of worship. So instead of one song today, we're singing two. And I want our time of worship today to be a time where we say, God, I know you came to give light and hope to me. I want to live in your light and in your hope. Maybe today, Maybe today you need to be reminded he's that wonder of a counselor and I need a wonderful counselor right now in my life. Maybe today you need to be reminded, no, I, I need his power. I need that mighty God. Maybe you need to know today that he's your everlasting father that will always be there for you. Or maybe you need to know today that he's your prince of peace. Maybe you need to know all of those. Whatever it is, he will be that for you so that you can live in that hope. Our worship team, I'm going to ask them to come now and get set, and I'm going to ask us to stand, and we're going to go right into our worship today. And hopefully not only to call him, but to call upon him, to not only declare and proclaim who he is, but to personally say, God, I... I need that wonder of a counselor right now. I need that mighty God. I need that everlasting Father. 
I need that Prince of Peace so that I can live in the light and hope that only Jesus can bring. Father, would you use our time of worship today to draw us into you so that we can live in your light and in your hope, so that we can be light and hope to others, and so that we can point others to the light and hope that only is found in you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.